Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now, here's our associate pastor to families, Tony Richmond. Well, good morning, church family. Let's open in our Bibles to Luke chapter 24. We're going to look at Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 27. Luke 24, 13 through 27. The title of today's sermon is simply, Believe the Bible. Believe the Bible. Luke 24, starting in verse 13. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? They said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word, in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Believe the Bible. I hope you enjoyed, as I did last week, focusing our attention on the resurrection of Jesus. And there's nothing like the resurrection of Jesus to renew our hope, to give us a renewed sense of joy in who Christ is and what he has accomplished. But sometimes we fail to understand that for for the early disciples, this first Easter morning wasn't necessarily a time for hope that was renewed. 
It was a time for frustration, a time for confusion, a time maybe even for hopelessness. It was only a process of methodical, grudgingly, slow understanding the disciples come to understand what had truly taken place that morning and all that it meant. And here we see hopelessness. You know, we're familiar somewhat with this idea of hope. Right? We use the word hope a lot. Some kids may say, I hope dad gets home early from work so we can play before dinner time. You may say of a loved one, our hope is that they arrive before the event is over. A pilot may say, our only hope for an on-time arrival is a good tailwind. We use this word hope a lot. But the problem is our understanding of hope is at odds with the biblical definition of hope. The biblical de definition of hope is none of those examples that I just used. We use that terminology of hope, wishing that something good will happen in the future. The biblical understanding of hope is a confident expectation about God's will in the future. Confident expectation about God's will in the future. We see here with these disciples first, a sinking feeling, a lost hope, an empty hope. Look at it according to uh, verse uh, 13. Behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. So evidently two of Jesus's disciples had left Jerusalem. They were headed to this village called Emmaus. Now, Luke doesn't tell us why they're going to Emmaus. And we don't get much help from the other gospels because Luke is the only gospel writer to record this account. So we know they're going, but for Luke's purposes in telling the story, it really doesn't matter why they were going to Emmaus. Luke is more concerned about what's going on in their minds and their spirit than anything else. What was going on? What was the problem? Of course, Luke includes this Emmaus Road account, no doubt, because it's a powerful testimony of the resurrected Jesus by two credible eyewitnesses. But there's also something very valuable to see in how Jesus chooses to respond to these two cynical, sad disciples. And in order to see the response of Jesus, we have to see the problem. So what's the problem with these two disciples? Look over in verse 21. We have a clue here that tells us the problem with the disciples. Verse 21 says this, but we were hoping. We were hoping. Your translation may say, we had hoped. Right? Their hope was something that ended in the past. 
We had hoped that Jesus was gonna save us. We had hoped that Jesus was gonna rescue us from this oppression from the Roman government and from this sort of persecution from the religious leaders and now Jesus is dead. And not only that, we can't find his body. They lost hope, hope in the past tense they had hoped. So as they're on this journey, on this little road trip, they're doing what two guys probably often do on road trips. They're having a conversation. But this is not just any conversation, right? The scripture here tells us in verse 14 that they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. All these things which had taken place. This is important for Luke writing the gospel. We know that the primary reason that Luke wrote these things down was to show an orderly account of Jesus' life. And so when Luke includes here what they were talking about, we can be sure of these historical events that Jesus actually lived and these disciples saw it and they experienced it and they heard his teachings and they witnessed his miracles and they walked with Jesus and they had conversation with Jesus. And so at this point, maybe they're going back and they're recounting all these things that had taken place. Now certainly, this still being Easter Sunday morning, they're talking about the events that had just happened. Right? Maybe they're talking with each other about where is Jesus if he's not in the tomb? Maybe they're saying, when Jesus made these statements on the cross, what was it that he was talking about? When Jesus looked over at that thief and said, today you'll be with me in paradise, where is that place? Are they there together? Where is Jesus? What is going on? And maybe they thought back to a period of time when they can remember Jesus telling them the story of when he had gone back to Galilee in Nazareth. Flick back to Luke chapter four. I wanna read this together with you. Luke chapter four is this instance where Jesus goes back home to Nazareth, to Galilee, and upon his arrival there, he goes to the synagogue. And in the synagogue, of course, the religious leaders and experts are talking about the prophets and all of that. In Luke chapter four, verse 17, look what it says. The book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, that is to Jesus. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. 
And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Now look at this, verse 21. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I mean, maybe at this point, the disciples rewind in their mind all the way to this point and said, hold on just a second. Jesus himself said that he was the Messiah. He said this prophecy that Isaiah foretold of this one who would come and save the people and release the captives and redeem the people of God. Jesus clearly said that was him, but how can these things be? Jesus is not here, and our situation is the same. Maybe even they started talking about their personal experience with Jesus. Hey, you remember that time Jesus spoke with such authority that everyone listening was amazed you remember those times where we saw Jesus feed 5,000 people with just a little bread and fish? You remember all of these things? Remember when Jesus called forth Lazarus from the tomb? We saw all of that, and now all of our expectations about Jesus have come to a crashing halt because Jesus is dead. What are we going to do. Maybe one of them said to the other, remember that day Jesus went into the temple and he started turning over the tables. I thought that was the day that he was going to stand up and say, I'm the one. And he was going to overthrow all of these things. That's not what happened. You can see here and sense here the problem. To the extent that they had expected and anticipated all of these events, it was over now because Jesus had died. And now as they walk along the way back in Luke 24, an amazing thing happens in verse 15. While they were walking and talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. I mean, I wondered, what was that like? I mean, you're just walking, you're on a road trip, boom, where did you come from? Right, we know uh, Brother Keith talked about this last week, that Jesus in his glorified body, he didn't need the stone rolled away so that he could come out of the tomb. He was no longer, longer limited to physics and space and matter. And so we don't know how this happened, but Luke tells us it did. As they're walking along, a third party joins them. And he begins traveling with them. Now, it's ironic for us, right? Because we know who this is. We know the story. They don't, but this is a really powerful verse in this narrative. Verse 16, let's look at it. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. See, it wasn't simply that Jesus's appearance was so different that they couldn't recognize him. This was a strategic move on Jesus's part. Jesus closed their eyes from recognizing who he was. 
Now let's think about that for a moment. Why would Jesus do such a thing? Why would Jesus close off their eyes from recognizing that it was him who was walking right along with them? Well, I think maybe here's why. This teaches us an important truth about Jesus. That we cannot see the risen Christ, although he may be walking with us, unless he reveals himself to us. Do you hear that? We cannot see the risen Christ, even while he may be walking with us, unless he reveals himself to us. Maybe some of us were brought up in Christian homes. We went to church a lot. Maybe some of us were in homes where our parents read us the Bible. Maybe you've spent hours, hundreds of hours, maybe thousands of hours sitting in a church pew. Maybe you have perfect attendance in Sunday school. Unless Jesus reveals himself to you, you cannot see him. And that's the point here. Jesus is doing something. Jesus is using this for a strategic purpose so that finally when he would reveal himself to them, they would clearly see who he was. They would clearly understand who this was that they were looking at and that they would, were seeing. This provides huge encouragement in our lives. Just because you can't see Jesus walking with you doesn't mean he's not there. Some of us may find ourselves this morning in situations of hopelessness. Maybe your life has not played out like you expected it to. Maybe your marriage has not played out like that fairy tale dream that you had thought of. Maybe your family is not functioning like you thought it. I don't know what the circumstance is, but maybe you're here today and you've lost hope because things have not gone like you expected them to go. Let me give you some encouragement. Just because you can't see Jesus doesn't mean he's not there. He's walking with you. He's there for his followers. He's there with these followers today and yet they were kept from recognizing him. Look over in verse 25, one of the reasons they were kept from recognizing him was because of their hearts. Verse 25, Jesus says to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. You see, the disciples' outward inability to recognize Jesus mirrored their inward unbelief about the scriptures. Their outward inability to see Jesus was simply a reflection of their inward unbelief about what the scriptures revealed about Christ. So now Jesus fully intends to help them see, but Jesus knows their hearts. Jesus knows that he needs to open up the eyes of their heart before he can open up their physical eyes. And that's exactly what Jesus does. 
This reminds me of Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Most of us know it, that Christians are to walk by faith, not by sight. You see that here? Jesus wants his disciples to believe at the level of the heart, not at the level of the eyes. Not simply what they could experience with their senses, but he knew that their hearts needed to have deep faith in who he was, so he opens their eyes. He knows that he's about to ascend to heaven, and his physical um, presence with them is not gonna be there for very much longer. And so it gives them a hope that's rooted in something that the scriptures say, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. And so Jesus gives them this hope, but along the way, they're still conversing. Look back in verse 17, Jesus says, what are these things you're talking about? What are you guys talking about? And they're blown away, right? Man, where have you been? The most, some of the most incredible history in the world. Have you just been living out in the wilderness in a cave? Or oh, here's what's happened. Jesus of Nazareth has come. He was a great prophet. He was a great teacher. The chief priest and our rulers sought to put him to death. And that's exactly what they did. They put him to death. They killed him. And then they put him in a tomb. And this morning, something crazy happened when some of our friends went to the tomb and angels spoke to them. And some of the other of our friends went to the tomb and found Jesus' linens, the wrappings laying there. And we're confused. What's going on here? We're talking about Jesus of Nazareth to Jesus of Nazareth. When we read this, it's obvious. A sense of hopelessness, a sense of perplexity, a sense of disappointment in their lives. And we can relate to this, right? We experience those same things. Our faith is shaky. There are times when we look at the circumstances and we say, God, how can these things be. I don't get it. I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand how you can be working behind this. And at this point, Jesus could have, boom, revealed himself and all of his glory right there on that road. I mean, we would think, what kind of power what kind of life transformation would have happened if they said, we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth, and at that moment, Jesus reveals who he was. See, this is a problem that a lot of evangelical Christians are facing today. We're looking for an experience. Man, Lord, if you would just show yourself to me, in some powerful way. If you would just speak to me, if you would just 
Give me a dream. If you would just show up and I would know it was you, my life would be different. I would believe it. I would serve the rest of my life for you. A lot of Christians out there looking for an experience like this. We should see here that Jesus could have given them an experience, but he didn't. He gave them something that was even better. He gave them a hope and something that was eternal, and he showed them the truth of the word. Look at it in verse 25, the hope of Christ. He said to them, O foolish man and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. Now we think about Jesus calling people fools or foolish. I mean, we would think, well, he called the Pharisees some names. We would think, man, there are times when Jesus talks about, the scriptures talk about how unbelievers are fools to deny the existence of God. We don't often think about Jesus calling his own followers foolish. But here's the truth. Anytime we fail to put our faith in the firm foundation of the word of God, we're acting as a fool. And that's what Jesus is showing him, showing them. Here's the reason that you're acting like a fool because you're trying to make sense of things based on what you can see and experience instead of what you can know for certain from the word of God. So Jesus doesn't give them an experience. He gives them a Bible study. In verse 27, it says, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, Jesus takes them and opens up the Old Testament and very methodically, starting, we take it from the book of Genesis, those five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and all the prophets and the writings, Jesus methodically takes these disciples through and says, hey, you remember this? That's about me. You remember that story? That's about me. You remember this prophecy? That's fulfilled in me. That's exactly what Jesus did. He said this, I'm the substance of every Old Testament sacrifice. I'm the true deliverer. I'm the true king. I'm the prophet that's greater than Moses. I'm the true seed of the woman who was to crush the serpent's head. I'm the true Sabbath rest for all of God's people. I'm the true scapegoat. I am the true bronze serpent. I am the true lamb to which every daily offering was pointed. I'm the true high priest of whom every descendant of Aaron was a figure. I am the Messiah. I am Christ. This is all about me. Believe it. This is what Jesus says to them. 
The whole design of Jesus here is to draw their attention, to restore their faith, to restore their joy, to restore their hope by grounding it in the word of God. He takes them to the word of God to show them the truth about himself. And that's so important for us to remember today because we can lack joy. We can lack hope. And I don't mean to belittle any circumstance that you may find yourself in. You may find yourself today in very difficult circumstances. But if you're lacking hope, if you're lacking joy, I can assure you of this. That lack of hope and joy is rooted in not believing the word of God about Christ. What Jesus wants us to do, brothers and sisters, is go back to the word, to be attending to the word of God, to have confidence in the word, to understand the word, and to understand what the word says about Christ so that we can believe and have real hope in him, a hope that's complete. And if you're an unbeliever here today, if you've not believed in Christ, let me say this to you. There is no joy or there's no, there's no hope that will last besides the hope that's in Christ. You may think you can find hope or joy in this thing or that thing. And for a period of time, those things may provide a sense of that. But sooner or later, that will run out because it's not grounded in the true source of hope and joy. The only real source of hope is the hope that comes in knowing Christ through the word of God. Believe the word. Let's pray. Lord, in a lot of ways, we're like these disciples. Our faith is shaky. We fail to believe. We start focusing our attention on what we can sense, what we can see and what we can make sense of in our minds. And Lord, that can lead us to a sense of despair and hopelessness and trusting in ourselves. So Lord, we ask that you would continue to reveal yourself to us through your word. Help us to be attentive to the word of God. Help us to recognize that it is through your word that we have real hope, that we have this confident expectation of your will for the future. And so Lord, Produce within us that faith. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight. And Lord, I would pray for a person here today that has never bowed their knee to the Lordship of Jesus. You've never saved them. Father, I pray that today you would reveal yourself to them that they may see their hopelessness their sinfulness, their depravity, 
and that they may see the glory of Christ, the fact that you sent Christ to pay the penalty for our sin on the cross. That whoever confesses Jesus as Lord with repentance in their heart and believes these things to be true about Christ, submitting to his Lordship, that they can cry out today in repentance and faith and they can be saved. Lord, thank you for that good news gospel. God, encourage us, help us to believe your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.